Trying to find my Randy Stonehill. Stonehill record. I got a Randy Stonehill record back on the shelf. They hurt my hikahi rash upon the nation <laughs> where the weary traveler gets trapped on vacation. No, right now I've got uh, Shiver Me Timbers, Captain Hook, and his Christian pirate crew is what I have right now. Oh, boy. Cool. All right. Let's okay. do it for real. I have everything I need. <laughs> Good. Holy Seth, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Seth. Okay, Four minutes start. of your life you'll never get oh, back. Oh, I forgot. Right. Seth has been <clears throat> listening to all this garbage. Oh, yeah. But he, oh, yeah. Yeah. How can you stand the filth, Seth? Sorry, How can you stand Seth. the filth? <laughs> the things we put him through, the poor guy. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Here we go. Hello and welcome to another Timber Shiverin' episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. I'm Matt Swaming, well with my colleagues Ken Hensley and Kenny Burchard. Uh, I come from a Wesleyan background. I was never anything other than a bookstore guy and a musician. But Ken Hensley was a Baptist pastor. Kenny Burchard was a Foursquare pastor. And uh, we're all bringing our own experiences of uh, what it was like to worship in those worlds and uh, looking at the Mass during this current series of On the Journey. Before we dive into that today, I uh, want to let you know that you can find previous episodes by going to chnetwork.org. Go back through the series. Um, catch not only these episodes on the mass, but uh, episodes we've done series on other topics, such as Justification and uh, Mary. And then if you want to join our online community, that is community.chnetwork.org. We hang out on there from time to time, answer questions. You can talk to other people who are asking similar questions. And of course, with the end of the year coming up, um, this is a big time of year when we encourage people to uh, make gifts because we don't really have much stuff to sell. So we rely on donations. chnetwork.org slash donate if you want to help us out with that. Ken, Kenny, how are you? Good day. Doing great. It's a good day. Yeah. Having a great day. All right. Well, hopefully it only improves <laughs> through the course of this well conversation. Done. So we've been going through uh, our experience of Protestant worship, uh, and we all came from three very different kinds of backgrounds and uh, explaining uh, the mass, right, in light of what mm -hmm. we grew up with. So, Kenny, if you could catch us up to where we are at this point. Yeah, this is our third discussion together. We we started uh, two episodes ago, really just retracing our history a little bit and talking about what it was like for us to go to church mm -hmm. when we weren't Catholics and some of the uh, the changes that we experienced and the different understandings that we experienced as we became Catholic. And we looked at um, the Catholic Mass, we, we said, from a 30,000-foot view. We learned some words together, the word Mass itself, which is the word Misa, a Latin word that means the mission that God has called us to and is preparing us for and releasing us into, that that happens through a liturgy. We understand that to be the work of God's people, God's work in us and our work uh, toward God and each other. And that the, the Mass as a liturgy happens through a series of rites, R-I-T-E-S. We're understanding those or talking about those as participatory, dramatic uh, events in which we retell and the story of God is represented among us. God himself is acting among his people. We are uh, moving toward God. And then the last word we talked about in that first episode was sacrament, sacred oaths in which heaven and earth come together. And there's this overlap between um, where we are in our parish and the heavenly places and God's throne and all that happens in heaven. And uh, and then last week, we started talking about going to Mass itself and what actually happens in the Mass. And we got as far as talking about the introductory rites and just going to Mass and that, that we're being formed as the people of God and that the Mass is retelling the biblical story, representing the whole entire scope of salvation history in that event. 
And so that's kind of where we've been for people. I encourage you to go back and get caught up because today we're going to jump into the first big part of the Mass, uh, the Liturgy of the Word, as it's called, and uh, maybe a simple way of translating that for people who may be new is the Bible at Mass. <laughs> so that's where we're headed. Although, uh, and and this is going to come out through the course of this, this is no way uh, the limitation of where the Bible is used at Mass, because the Bible shows up all over the place, but this is the part that really focuses mm -hmm. on the uh, the public reading of scripture, uh, to, to get back to our own experiences, because this is a lot of, um, hopefully translating what we went, you know, to, for, went to church for, uh, and, and seeing, you know, what a Catholic goes to church for. I know that in my own experience, uh, the Bible was obviously the centerpiece. Uh, it was the centerpiece in my Methodist worship, uh, in my Nazarene worship. Um, we heard a lot of expository preaching. Sometimes we get sermon series. Sometimes we go through the book of Philippians over the course of four to eight weeks, right? Uh, we were heavily in the letters of Paul. Uh, we were heavily in the stories of the Old Testament, very often um, as morality tales, right? And tales of God's providence. There are all kinds of things that we we studied. We studied all kinds of chunks of scripture, right? Uh, that's that's the bulk of everything. Um, the, the goal was for practical application to life, right? That we could be better Christians, that we mm -hmm. could live out the gospel, and um, it was imperative that, that what we were hearing from the scriptures is, th is what we needed to go out into the world and then and then share. So that's me as a guy in a pew, right? And I remember, too, that, uh, you know, in Sunday school, we were memorizing scripture left and right. Um, we were mm -hmm. uh, doing all kinds of stuff. I remember also even in the music, uh, we, when I, we were going to our church of the Nazarene, our music minister had been formed a lot on the Maranatha praise, right? And a lot of those songs mm -hmm. that we sang came straight word for word from the Psalms, right? Um, so a lot of that was, you know, kind of imbued into us. I mean, it was it was the whole thing. The whole thing was was really meant to be from the Bible. And I remember our pastor preaching, and every time he'd say a verse, he'd also say where it was, <laughs> right? He would say yeah. something about rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, as it says, St. Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, sorry. So it was always it was always front and center that he was proven to us that this was coming from the Bible as he was saying it. So mm -hmm. uh, how about you, Ken? Well, I guess I could say ditto is what I could say. Um, when I think about it, Matt, um, the moment at which I actually lifted my heart to Christ in faith, I was laying on a bed reading the Bible— and from the very beginning, the Bible was literally um, everything, pretty much, at the home Bible study that I attended on Tuesday nights, the small community Bible church that I attended early on, and then in college, in seminary, in the two churches that I served as pastor of, one associate pastor and then senior pastor, for 11 years. The Bible was, well, I guess to put it in simple terms, using the Reformation language, it was the sole, the only and the sufficient, the only needed, infallible rule of faith and practice. The Bible was the atmosphere that we, that I, in which I lived and breathed and really had my being. And I was all about memorizing Scripture from the very beginning. So, in short, um, the Bible, I was a Bible Christian from day one, a Bible Christian. How about you, yeah. Kenny? Yeah, I mean, the same. I could say amen to all your stuff, guys. I remember growing up with a Bible, not knowing what it was, what a mystery it was to me. And when I became a Christian at the age of 16, how important the Bible became to me, especially as I began to understand it. And then all the Christians that I were, was going to, you know, hanging around would say, you need to go to a good Bible teaching church. This is a, like a mantra in the circles that I ran in, you know, go to a good Bible teaching church. So it just became so important to me as a re on the receiving end to go somewhere where I felt that I was mm -hmm. receiving biblical teaching. But then I really wanted when I when I became a pastor, you know, at the age of 24, an associate pastor, I was going to a church where preaching was kind of the center of everything and I I made up my mind just as a very young man that if I was going to be a pastor, I wanted to be a Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching pastor. Mm -hmm. So the centrality of preaching in my pastoral experience was, it was everything, you know, expository sermons, verse mm -hmm. by verse, talking about the authority of Scripture. You know, these terms were constantly flying mm -hmm. out of my face. And, um, you know, but now as I, I look at that, 
Um, and I, I'm being a little bit retrospective here, guys, now that I'm on the other side and I'm, and I'm Catholic and I think about how much I said I was Bible-centered, but I might, I might preach a sermon on one verse of Scripture, right? And people would laugh in our church who would say, today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, and everyone would laugh. And then I would spend 45 minutes of my words talking about this one verse in God's word while I was saying we're, you know, we preach the Bible here. Um, so, you know, and, th and then the other thing is maybe right down the street from where I was preaching the Bible, <laughs> there might be another church of, of a denomination that would say, no, you're not because your church doesn't believe about the Bible, what we believe about the Bible. So that's kind of, you know, that's my background, I guess. But I'll say this. The Bible, like both of you, was central in our worship experience. It was everything. People would come to our church to hear Bible preaching. Yeah, I remember when I first came across folks from the Church of Christ and heard them uh, say the mantra, you know, where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we silent. We're silent, right? And I remember thinking, that seems like a pretty good idea, right? I, of course, you unpack it and, and you start to realize, you know, what some of the implications are. You know, the Bible doesn't use musical instruments in worship, so some churches of Christ don't use musical instruments in worship, right? But, you know, there are, there are elements of that mentality that I think were present in, in the places we all, uh, we all came from. So mm -hmm. let's go over to the question of the Mass. And this is where it's going to be very interesting because I'm very curious to hear uh, what it was like for you all when you first began investigating the church and started to go to mass. Now, I will tell you this. Nobody really prepared me um, for for going to mass. I, you know, I was decided I was just going to, you know, finally go. I've been reading Catholic stuff for years and years, absorbing some, some, some sacramental ideas and the Catholic imagination. I finally went to mass. And because of how I was wired, right, to get all my scripture in the sermon, I didn't have this experience that a lot of people have when they come from Bible Christian backgrounds and go to Mass, or they hear the Bible everywhere. I wasn't listening for the Bible in the extra parts. I was listening to the sermon. I got eight minutes of somebody telling me that I needed to be nice to people who cut me off in traffic. Like, almost no reference to the Bible. I'm like, this is this is like the least Bible I've ever heard in church, <laughs> right? So mm -hmm. it, was, it was very confusing to me because I wasn't keyed in on, on hearing the Bible in some of the other places we're going to talk about. But... Um, but I just remember, like, that was that was kind of shocking to me. Like, I heard the Bible read, but I didn't hear the Bible preached on, right? No. Uh, so that was kind of a jarring thing for me. Um, how about you, Kenny? Yeah, I, I mean, I think when I was younger, I, I would, and I went to a mass here and there, I would say the same thing. I went looking for my own evangelical Protestant experience inside of a Catholic mass and didn't find it. So I didn't find, you know, protracted sermons. But when I really started seriously investigating Catholicism, started attending the Mass here in Virginia Beach. Having spent so many years um, reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, studying the Bible, I will tell you guys that it was difficult at first to find any, and it still is, to find any part of the Mass that wasn't actually a quote directly from the Bible. Like, I started realizing right away that almost everything, mm -hmm. every almost every word spoken in the formal parts of the Mass, those liturgical things that move the Mass along, were all Scripture quotations. Almost every prayer was exactly from Scripture in some way. Almost everything that was spoken was a Bible verse. And you know, this may not be obvious mm -hmm. to a, a Catholic who's been going to Mass their whole life and maybe not reading their Bible, <laughs> but for someone who spent, you know, so many years reading the Bible, I kept hearing the Bible everywhere at Mass, and I noticed that, you know, right away the entire Mass was being driven along by biblical content, quotes, and the shape of the biblical story. Well, yeah, I noticed that the next time around I went, right? Uh, the first time, though, that's not where I was looking for the Bible, right? Yeah, the sermon, right. the sermon. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. And while while I could agree with you, Matt, on what you're saying about the homily, because of course, that's dependent on the priest. There are some priests yeah, that true. preach really well and preach from Scripture, and there are some who uh, preach uh, whose, whose sermons just uh, accidentally coincide with Scripture like once every six months Yeah, and to clarify, <laughs> bear in mind, every place that I'd ever gone before— 
the church mm-hmm. rose or fall based mm-hmm. on the preaching ability of the guy up right. front and his ability right. to open the scriptures. And I'm thinking, these people are going to church to hear this guy? You, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. it was it was right. not yeah. at all how I was planning to to experience so church my, that morning. My, but my experience when I began to you know stumble into mass and and watch was kind of divided on that because while I would agree with you on the on the homily, you know, it's that short. It's only eight minutes. It's only 10 minutes long. And he hasn't even referred to the passages. Okay, on the one hand, there was that. On the other hand, truthfully, I was surprised at how much Bible there was in the Mass because, you yes. know, I, I, I thought, like many evangelicals, that the church pretty much wanted to keep Catholics away from the Bible. You know, the old stories about there's one Bible in the town and it's chained to a post so nobody can read it. You know, not not remembering that a Bible at that time had to be hand copied and, you know, it cost about as much as a couple of years, you know, work full time, thing, things like that. You know, so I had this idea that the Bible wouldn't be there. And I was very much surprised because, like you said, Kenny, a few minutes ago, I preached expositorily, and I did that for years. I mean, my sermon began every week with printing off the Greek text of the pericope, you know, the next section, the paragraph I was going to address, and then working it through in detail and preaching word by word, phrase by phrase, tearing the thing apart. And so it didn't, I didn't realize that I read so little of the Bible, actually, because I would just read the one little paragraph, and then I would preach that, and I would bring in uh, texts from other places in the Bible. But really, I might spend an entire year preaching through Ephesians or something, and my congregation right. really didn't hear much. And so I I was stunned, and I know we're going to get into this in detail, so I won't lay it out, but I was stunned by how much Bible is actually proclaimed and read in the Catholic Mass. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I have one other memory related to this, and it was from—and uh, I didn't remember this until— years later but I remember being a kid in Indiana riding the school bus this is probably like second grade maybe and hearing that somebody on the bus was a Catholic and having heard sermons where very often the pastor would say well I was planning to preach on this passage today but the Lord laid this passage from Philippians on my heart right mm-hmm. and hearing that this Catholic kid they read the same passage in every Catholic church every Sunday. I'm like, well, but what if the Holy Spirit's got something to say to your pastor that morning and wakes him up in the middle of the night and wants him to preach on something else? Like, I remember thinking that was preposterous, <laughs> right? <laughs> this lectionary base. And of course, there are plenty of Protestants who use a lectionary cycle. But in my world, that was just like, I, mm-hmm. it was all expository preaching. It was all the, exactly the kind of things that you guys were talking about. So yeah. um, let's then dig into how the Bible uh, fits into the flow of the Catholic Mass. There's a bunch of different ways, but uh, we're really talking about, um, well, we're going chronologically from the introductory rites to the next part right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the next part of the Mass begins with the liturgy of the Word. But I want to camp on th- those last two words for a second, the Word, before we really dig into the formal reading of Scripture at Mass and reframe this question a little bit. How does the word fit into mass? Um, you know, when I first went to seminary, the president of my seminary stood up in front of us all and said, we're the people of the book, because he said, this is a biblical seminary, not a theological seminary. We're the people of the book. And I remember that. Well, when I became a Catholic, the Catholic Church said, we're the people of the word. And I thought, well, what, what's the difference? Well, the difference is everything is speaking, not just the book, not forsaking mm. the book, but everything is speaking the word. And the word himself, Jesus, the incarnate word, is also speaking. So everything around us, guys, right, mm. when, when you go into a a a Catholic church that's thought carefully about this. Everything around you is talking. And we could probably come up with lots of examples of that, you know, right here. Yeah. You hit some of them last week where, you know, when you walk into the church and you dip your finger into the, into the holy water and you cross yourself in the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit, it's, Mm -hmm. it's teaching, it's speaking to you about your baptism and you, you're being reborn into life in Christ. Then I think about genuflecting. Mm-hmm. You go to your pew and you genuflect, looking forward at the tabernacle. You know, you know, honoring Christ. Everything speaks. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's was, a lot more examples uh, of that than that. Yeah, there's tons. I was talking to uh, a guy in our church last week about how we sit in our church in mm. the shape of a cross. In many Catholic churches, the way that the seating itself is telegraphing, is speaking that this is a cruciform mm-hmm. gathering. And so we're seated, you know, in the shape of a cross. I, I was sharing with Ken earlier, Matt, about stained glass windows and how those speak. Not only do they tell the story, but where you're looking at the stained glass windows mm-hmm. is also speaking. So if you're outside the church, you see the story a little bit, but you also see maybe a reflection of what's going on outside, you know, in the parking lot. But when you go into the church and the light is shining in, you see all the radiant colors. And there's speaking going on there, too, that the clarity of the word mm-hmm. is is best heard inside the church. That's where the even the stained glass itself is different inside the church. So the word is heard mm-hmm. inside the church. Well, I mean, and you go on to uh, the procession, right? You've got mm-hmm. uh, the first thing in the procession is the crucifer, right? Mm-hmm. The cross bearer, right? Bearing Christ. Mm-hmm. It's like he's in, he's at the head of the procession into the line, mm-hmm. even that uh, the priest is walking forward uh, with whoever happens to be with him on that day, whether it's lectors or servers, is a, is kind of emblematic of a pilgrimage that we're all making to like a holy place, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a processional thing. But the vestments as well, the vestments are always cool. Like yeah. when uh, there are different colors for different things that happen, uh, you know, ordinary time, Advent, uh, when the priest is wearing the purple vestments during Advent or during Lent, it's a way of signaling to everybody that like, okay, this is a different kind of year. This is more of a subdued kind of year. Or when a priest walk, walks in wearing red vestments and you're at a daily mass, you're like, hey, somebody really important gave their life for the faith on this date. Right, right, right. right? right I mean, yes. it's like, you know that there's yes. there's always something communicated um, in, in, in even the way that the priest is dressed that day. Uh, there's just, mm-hmm. there's tons and tons and tons of layers. Of this You were mentioning stained glass. Um, Father Sebastian Walsh uh, was talking about his abbey, St. Michael's, was built by a guy who had a son named Michael who died. Mm-hmm. And he, when he built the rose window at St. Michael's Abbey in Orange County, uh, he built it so that, uh, he calculated where the sun was going to be around the time they were going to be doing prayer mm-hmm. at a certain day on the Feast of St. Michael, based on the time of the year and where it's positioned, so that while they're praying those mm-hmm. prayers, the sun comes through the rose window on the Feast of St. Michael and hits the altar just so, right? It's all communicated. It's all designed to communicate it is. something. Yeah and, yeah, and you know, you read about how um, much of this was designed back in a day when people were illiterate. And so it was a way of teaching. It was a way of people learning. But I would say, even in a even in a society now where everyone can read, it still speaks. It, it's still yes. the word coming from every angle. You haven't mentioned yet the fact that the altar is at the very center of the church. Speaking of what you know, the the fact that Christ crucified, the altar, the new covenant, the Eucharist is going to be the center of our liturgy. Is going to be the center of our worship. And then there's the crucifix always above the altar, back on the wall, you know, Christ crucified. Remember Paul saying that he had determined to know nothing except Christ crucified? The, mm-hmm. the, the Catholic Church is designed to be this giant, all-encompassing lesson book teaching the faith. Right. And I don't know, there's probably other ways as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but just I where you, you you go, go into it. I tell people this, go into a Catholic church. It is speaks to you. The building itself speaks to you. The mass begins speaking to you in all these ways. Imagery, art, color, sounds, Mm -hmm. smells, the shape of things, what we're doing with our body. What is this? It's all word. It's all word. We're the people, as Catholics, we're the people of the word. And so even when we don't speak Mm -hmm. at mass, everything at mass is speaking the word, because the mass and everything that we use, it, you know, in the church is this dr- dramatic retelling, representation of the whole story of the Bible. So I really wanted to start there, guys, with uh, uh, you know, the the Bible is is central and and a focal point mm-hmm. in the mass, but but don't forget that the word of God yeah, is yeah. being proclaimed in every way. Well, let me give you a little, uh, if I can, I just want to share a little story because I've been a Catholic a long time now, and I hadn't been in a non-denominational evangelical kind of church in a long time when Tina and I were invited to a wedding 
a couple of years ago. And we um, went to a different state and we went into the church. And it was one of those that is designed to be seeker friendly so that there's basically mm -hmm. uh, nothing in the church that would speak to you in, in the ways that we've been describing here, you know, just right. blank walls, no crucifix, no stained glass windows, nothing like that. You know, maybe b behind where the preacher preaches, you got a couple of rocks in a, in a, in a palm tree or something. And that's about it. And, and so I had that experience and, <clears throat> and I remember just being kind of shocked by it because it had been so long. I kind of walk in there. I'm thinking, wow, this is just like a regular room. That's all. It, it's just a room. Anyway, here's the good part. The very next day, a friend invited us to this small Polish Catholic congregation for mass because it was going to be Sunday morning. And I go into this church, Tina and I go in and everyone was kneeling silently. The church we'd been at the day before, it was just raucous, like total noise the whole time from the second you walk through the door, you know, till the end. And everybody was kneeling silently. And this little Polish parish in the country, it was designed so the walls on both left and right were covered with large stained glass windows representing the lives of all of the Polish saints. And then I look up front and there was a, a large, very profound crucifix. There is the statue of St. Joseph. There is a statue of Mary. There, you know, there's the Holy Family. There's all these images. And I remember just sort of thinking, wow, this is, I mean, this is just really beautiful, just really speaks. And it, so it's not just for people who can't read, because I can read and I spend my whole life reading. And yet still to go into a building that 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 guides your eye to heaven and that leads your heart mm. to heaven it makes you feel in a way like you maybe have entered heaven for a little while is a powerful mm. and important thing and i suppose we could go off now and talk about how bad it is what a bad idea it has been over the last 30 40 50 years to go into some catholic churches and just strip them out and make them ugly on purpose but anyway um, enough said on that. Yeah, well, we could talk about all the stories, too, of uh, the people who have come to us at the Coming Home Network, and their whole journey started because they walked into a church and like, where am I? <laughs> right? Yes. Because of yes. all those distinctives that we that we just mentioned. And um, I mean, I just think about one of those thoughts that just occurred to me as I was coming into the church. Uh, it really just starting to explore how, what is this difference, right? What is this difference? And uh, thinking mm -hmm. back to in Luke 19 and the triumphal entry and everybody's like saying Hosanna to Jesus and mm -hmm. and everybody's saying, teacher, mm -hmm. you know, tell your disciples to chill out. And he says, I tell you, if they are silent, uh, even the very stones will cry out. And being in a church, there, every Protestant church I ever went to, right, you go in before things start, everybody's like, you know, slapping each other on the back, greeting each other. Hey, how you doing or whatever. You go in a Catholic church, it's silent. And yet the very stones, <laughs> right, are crying something <laughs> right. out. It's a, it's a, right. it's a, there's just layer upon layer upon layer of this, but we haven't even gotten to the mass part. We're just talking <laughs> about the building. So let's talk about how this works in the course of the liturgy. Okay. Well, as I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, um, my first thought in coming to the mass for me was this, how much Bible reading there was. There's this a ton of scripture reading in the mass. Um, the liturgy of the word begins with a reading from the Old Testament and sometimes a lengthy reading from the Old Testament. Then we chant a psalm together. Then there's a reading from one of the New Testament epistles. And then finally, there's a reading from one of the four gospels. And again, this might be a long reading. And remember, we're telling the story of salvation using scripture, using the story of scripture. And so all of these readings are integrated together all of them are held together or they're put together, they're designed to go together in order to communicate something, to tell a particular story, some aspect of Christian teaching. Um, Kenny, mm -hmm. this is going to be your job here mainly today. Why don't you unpack <laughs> this a little bit and take us closer in yeah. uh, to how these readings work together in an integrated yeah. way? Great. And you know, we, we all just, in terms of the liturgical calendar or where we read scripture throughout the year, we just had recently the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time, if you, um, if you care, to, care to look that up, uh, just a couple of Sundays ago. And I think it'd be great to use those four readings for two reasons. One, we just recently had them, but the second I'll get to in just a second. Like Ken said, uh, the readings, for instance, on the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time began in the Old Testament, we started to learn something about this 
mighty God, this creator uh, of, of all things and what he's like and what he's been doing throughout time. And so we started with a reading from the Old Testament book of wisdom, chapter 11, 22 through 12, verse 2. Now, when I was Pastor Kenny back in the day, if I wanted our congregation to go to the Old Testament, I would say, turn, you know, for instance, turn to the book of Daniel, and I would jokingly say, that's back in the crispy pages, because those were the pages that most uh, of our people didn't, didn't read. We tended to stay in the New Testament. But in a Catholic Mass, you cannot get out of Mass without hearing a section of the Old Testament read. Why? Again, we're telling the story, the story of God's mighty deeds throughout salvation history. So you have to read the Old Testament. Then we, as Ken said, we chant a psalm. Now, on the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time, it was multiple verses from Psalm 145. Uh, and in, in that psalm, well, by the way, in the Book of Wisdom that we, that we read uh, on the 31st Sunday, we're, we're reading about how God loves his creation, that he cares about everything that he made, that he doesn't create things that he hates, including people. And in that reading, we read how God is patient with people. And little by little, we read in this reading that God works with people in order to bring them about to a place of repentance. In the psalm that we sing, uh, back and forth, a cantor will sing a verse from the psalm or a chorus from the psalm, and then uh, and then we'll sing that with them, and then verses from the psalm will be read. And in Psalm 145, it's a psalm of praise to God because he's the great king, but he also is the gracious and merciful, slow to anger, you know, abounding in kindness. So there again is that theme of how how God is the maker of the world and how he loves his creation, and he even loves people who go sideways. He, he wants to bring them back. And this is the psalm that we chant or sing together. Then we read on the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time a pretty good long reading from 1 Thessalonians 11, uh, 1 verse 11 through 2 verse 2. And already, guys, I'll just say right here, we've read more scripture, heard more scripture read just in the Old Testament and the psalm than I read in most of the church services that I led mm -hmm. for a couple of decades. I mean, I would maybe do a couple, three, four verses or half of a chapter. We've gone through so much already. And now we're going to read 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through chapter 2, verse 2. And in this text, uh, the apostle Paul is telling the church uh, of Thessalonica to walk in a way that's worthy of their calling, you know, to be the holy people of God. And again, this, this whole way that God works in our life to bring us around to what he's like and what we're supposed to be. And, and this is, you know, the first several readings uh, of that Sunday um, end with that epistle. Now, we end the Old Testament and the New Testament readings with the lector's proclamation and the congregation's response. And it goes like this. When the Old Testament is read, the lector will say, the word of the Lord. And when I'm a lector at our church, I pause and I say it like this, the word of the Lord. And then the congregation says, thanks be to God. Now, why do we do that during the liturgy of the word? Well, we do it because we acknowledge in that exchange that God himself is speaking to us in the Mass, that we have just heard, as it were, the voice of the Lord in the midst of the assembly. His voice is both hidden and heard. It's hidden inside of the voice of the human lector, but also heard through the voice of the human lector, who's proclaiming that word publicly. And so this is another example of this word sacrament where heaven and earth come together. God is speaking. Why do we call attention to this reality? Why don't we just read the Bible and then start, you know, go right into it? Why do we pause and say, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God? Well, because of what God says uh, about his own word. 
I just call your attention to the book of Ezekiel, one of the prophets in the Old Testament in chapter 37. Um, Ezekiel says that God told him to go to this valley of dry bones. And in, in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 4, it says, Ezekiel speaking, He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones hear the word of the Lord. In other words, God is going to speak and bring about the renewal, the raising up, the new creation of his people through what he says, through the voice of a prophet. And so when the lector is reading or when the reader is reading, God is speaking over his people, reconstituting them, bringing them up, you know, bringing them into life and remembering his, his people. So God's forming a people for himself. We are becoming, through that speak, spoken word, or coming to be that people when we hear and when we receive the word of the Lord. He's changing us from, from death to life. He's speaking over us. Just as he spoke over the darkness and the chaos in the original creation, said, let there be, and there, and it was so. So I encourage people during the liturgy of the word, don't tune out. It's the word of the Lord. I'll just pause right there. Yeah, if I could just add something, because we went over this a little bit in RCIA, because people came into uh, class, and m many of them had had like, very little to no experience of the Mass before, trying to figure out what in the world's going mm -hmm. on, right? the sit, stand, and kneel stuff, mm -hmm. and don't realize that uh, there are postures that we take during various points in the Mass that tell us what we're supposed to be doing and what our attitudes should supposed to, supposed mm -hmm. to be. You know, when we were talking about all the things that are part of the Mass that are speaking to us. Uh, so when we're standing, that's a proclamatory uh, kind of posture, uh, and we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, when we're kneeling, mm -hmm. that's a posture of worship and reverence. Uh, but during all mm -hmm. the stuff that you just mentioned, we're sitting, right? And sitting exactly. is like a receptive listening posture you're sitting you're soaking mm -hmm. it in all this stuff that's happening those uh those readings they're coming to you and you're in a receptive posture mm -hmm. as a, a and and you know there are, there are schools of thought are like well you should follow along in the lectionary the other schools of thought that should say don't read along just sit there and 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 hear it right uh, it because out. this mm -hmm. is a receptive a receptive posture yeah the the only point i would want to add here is that uh, because many who are many non-Catholics are listening to this, and we are certainly not saying, "Hey, Catholics love the Bible and you don't," or anything like that, or, or, or anything right. like that. You know, you're just describing what happened. Oh, I guess it's the other way around. I I think if I'm saying anything to my Protestant brothers sisters who are listening, is just that, um, hey, Catholics love the Bible, you know, <laughs> and 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 we do love the Bible, and you can see it in the Mass. The reverent way in which the Old Testament is read and the psalm is sung and the New Testament epistles, and at the end of which it's the word of the Lord and the congregation responds, thanks be to God. That's really what I want to say. I mean, yeah. obviously non-Catholics love the Bible and we love the Bible. So that's not the point that we're making here. We're just wanting to describe what happens in the mass. This is the liturgy of the word. And I think you're you're explaining it very well. And to get yeah, back very and, quickly to that uh, that point about you know, Catholics using a lectionary and, and uh, all the churches in the world, not just on Sunday, but on every day of the week, all reading from the same text on the same day, is that uh, you may have really liked Ephesians. You know, my pastor may have really liked Philippians. Uh, my you're, Ken, yeah. you may have loved Romans. Um, the lectionary yes. is like, yeah, you're going to have to you're going to have to look at this whole thing. <laughs> you're going to have exactly. to be confronted yeah. as a pastor, as a preacher with the full, yeah. we're going to go through the whole Bible and you're going to have to preach on some stuff that you don't know what to do with and that might make you uncomfortable, but you're going to have to look at it and at least read it out loud to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think to that point, because we, we have a couple more things to talk about with the Liturgy of the Word, but to that point, Matt, I would say, if you just go to the Catholic Mass every Sunday for three years, I'm just going to go every Sunday for three years, you will have heard over 7,000 verses of the Bible read to you from the Old Testament, mm -hmm. from the book of Psalms, from the New Testament letters, and from the Gospels. You'll have gone through almost all of that. Now, if you go to that plus the weekday Mass, you're talking about maybe over 15,000 verses of Scripture that'll be, that'll be read aloud and proclaimed mm -hmm. at the Mass over the course of those three-year cycles. 
and and like you said, I like what you said about the posture that we take um, as Catholics in that place of worship in the Mass. We're joining this incredible mm-hmm. story of God's saving history. Well, we we're going to telegraph something that we believe now after we read from the epistle, because now there's still another reading that has to happen in every Mass. After we've read from the Old Testament, we've chanted, we've sung from a psalm, we've read an apostolic letter. Ah, but in the story now, the king is going to come and speak to us. Now, how does the assembly, the gathered uh, people, know that Jesus is about to speak, that the king has come into the room, and now we're going to listen to him? Well, we stand up together. What's mm-hmm. with all the sitting and the standing? Well, what do you do when the king comes in? You stand up. And the reader is going to hold a book over his head. It's going to most often be gold. It's going to, it's going to, or look gold. It's going to be a shiny gold book. And he's going to hold it over his head, which is telling you a couple things. Number one, look at this. But more than that, what I'm about to say is over me. It's bigger than me. The king is above. Uh, me, the reader, here's what's really important, what's about to be read. Mm -hmm. Well, we all stand up together. And as the deacon or the priest is walking up to the ambo or the pulpit or the place from which he'll be reading, he begins to say a word. And we all say it with him. He begins to say alleluia or sing alleluia. And then a gospel acclamation is sung or said. And the reason that I want, I said, remember, there's two reasons I wanted to do the 31st mm-hmm. Sunday of Ordinary Time. One is that it was recent, but also because on the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time, the gospel acclamation goes like this. And I told Ken I was going to sing it, and I'm going to sing it here on this <laughs> recording. The gospel acclamation in my parish sounded like this. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. Okay, that's the acclamation. We haven't even read, had the proclamation yet. Why did I want to share the acclamation, though? Guys, there must be a script somewhere that lots of the ex-Catholics that I was pastoring had because they all would tell me that they grew up in the Catholic Church and never once heard John 3.16. It's like like there's a script, as I said. (laughs) I never heard John 3.16 when I was a Catholic. And I'm like, wait a minute, I've heard John 3.16 over and over. I've heard it sung to me. I've heard it read to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple Sundays of the year, John 3.16 is part of the readings. And so I, I just wanted to bring that out, that if you're listening, if you're paying attention, if you have ears to hear, you're going to hear these familiar texts uh, in the mm-hmm. Catholic Mass. But we're not done yet. We have an acclamation, which gets us ready and, and the acclamation is, God loves the world. If you believe in him, you'll he, have everlasting life. Okay, now what's uh, the deacon going to read? Well, on the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time, he's going to read from Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, the story of Zacchaeus. This is a story of Jesus transforming the life of of this sinful tax collector and bringing him into salvation. He said, salvation has come to his house for he is also a son or a child of Abraham. And it's just amazing to me, all these texts fit together to tell the story of how God is saving the world through Jesus. And I I remember guys, and I'm going to pause here, but I remember years ago when I was in the Navy, I went to a Catholic Mass with a girl that I was dating at the time, and I took my Bible with me to church, uh, to the Catholic Mass, and I was trying to keep up as all the texts were being read. And as we were walking out, it was Father Dan Avila, the, the pastor, of uh, the priest of St. Bridget's Catholic Church in Hanford, California, back in the, the late 80s. And he stopped me when I was on my way out the door. He said, hey, 
I noticed you brought your Bible to church today. And I had a you know, big Bible with me. I said, yeah, Father, I did. He said, you're a Protestant, aren't you? And I said, yes, Father, I, I am. I'm here with this girl. You know, I'm dating this this uh, this Catholic girl. Mm-hmm. Of course, she's not my my wife currently <laughs> at all. But so, but I was dating this girl, and I went to church with her. and And he said, "I want you to think about something on on the steps of St. Bridget's Catholic Church." He said, "I want you to think about something. How much time we spent in the Gospels this morning in the Catholic Church in the Mass? How much time we spent in the Gospels?" He said, "I'm going to bet that as a Protestant." You've spent most of your time in the epistles, in the New Testament and in the epistles, very little in the Old Testament and very little in the Gospels and most of your time in the letters. And I remember that from back when I was 19 years old, and it always stuck with me uh, all these years. So I don't know if you guys have a similar experience. Yeah, that's a, no, yeah, I want to say something about that. And, and I'm thinking, too, about what Matt said a few minutes ago about how um, in my Protestant life, well, he was referring to it the way it is, but in my Protestant life and as a Protestant pastor, I got to pick and choose, you know, what Matt said about the pick and choosing right. bit. Yeah. So I got to focus on parts of the Bible that I thought I understood well and thought mm-hmm. I could preach well and, uh, and and was teaching doctrine I wanted to focus on and I wanted to think about. And so for me, as a kind of a typical um, Calvinist Baptist for most of the years, you know, I, I wanted to read Paul. I wanted to be in Romans. I wanted to be in Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. I wanted to be in Paul, and I wanted to emphasize certain doctrines that I was familiar with and understood. And th- mm-hmm. this thing, your father Dan's story, Ken, uh, Kenny, what it reminds me of is how little time I spent in 11 years as a pastor in the Gospels. And looking right. back, I don't know if it's because I was afraid of them or I kind of thought maybe I can't preach this narrative stuff as well as I can preach the didactic, you know, propositional kinds of truths from Paul's letters, or whether or whether it was because there were things in the Gospels that would be difficult for me to preach. I wasn't sure what they meant, or wasn't sure how to how to fit them in with my doctrinal system. But it it was such a small amount of time that I actually spent in the Gospels. Um, no, I was doing the pick and choose thing, and it's true in the Catholic Church. The readings are there, and if you're a Catholic priest, you may avoid some of the readings. You may not preach your homily on it. You may preach something that doesn't even intersect with it at all, but you are forced, like Matt said, you're forced to read it out loud and have the church hear it every single week. So anyway, that's just, yeah, yeah I relate. Yeah. I relate. I, yeah, I got, I got two quick things to add to that. One is that, man, we took the Bible seriously in my church. We took the gospel seriously, but we never marched around the room with it and kissed it before we read it, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So, yeah. so that's that's one of the things. Uh, second of all, and and uh, this hasn't really, um, you know, come into the the question yet. But uh, when we're reading from the the Old Testament, or when someone is leading the singing of the Psalms, or or the reading from the New Testament, those three readings uh, that that are part of the Sunday Mass. Um, Ken, you can do that. Kenny, you can do that. I can do that. When it comes time for the gospel, only right. an ordained deacon or priest is. I mean, that's how. That's the level we've got the yep. gospel on. But, but to your mm-hmm. point, Ken, you know, so I was a Wesleyan, and and I think that people from Reformed backgrounds, because of the emphasis of Luther on Romans uh, specifically and some other stuff, uh, Reformed people tend to have uh, much more of a focus on the epistles. Uh, we focus on the epistles quite a bit in the Wesleyan tradition. Uh, mm-hmm. And and the Gospels, too. But here's a little test uh, that I'm going to do on you and, and perhaps the listeners. If someone had told you to go share the Gospel with somebody, mm. what book of the Bible would you start with in sharing the Gospel with somebody? My guess is probably going to be Romans. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Or some simplification of Romans. Right. Yeah. And that— Yep. And that's where, you know, as as Catholics, our reading, you know, in the liturgy of the word culminates mm-hmm. with a reading from Jesus' story itself, from the Gospels themselves, the mm-hmm. four Gospels, mm-hmm. Matthew, And usually Mark, a passage, by the way, where he's got a speaking part. Where uh, Jesus is speaking. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 
not just narrative about Jesus, but this is if if we can you know borrow mm-hmm. something from Hollywood a little bit. This is the king's speech in this part of of the mm-hmm. mass. <laughs> Remember, guys, when when the lector, not the lector, but the 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 priest or the deacon stands up to read, he'll say a reading from the Holy Gospel, and then he'll say what it is. And as he's saying that, what do we do? We we do the sign mm-hmm. of the cross on our body in three places, mm-hmm. our forehead. Lord, I open my mind to Jesus, the King who's about to speak. Then our mouth, we make a cross on our mouth. I will open my lips to speak your truth, Lord. If you call me to, to, to speak about Jesus, I'll do that. So may your word be upon my lips. And then over our heart, Lord, may the words of Jesus, our King, enter my heart. We do that when we hear the gospel read in the mass, because this is the king speaking to us. And then everyone will will say, uh, uh, glory to you, Lord. And then when the reading is done, he'll say, the deacon or the priest will say, the gospel of the Lord. Everyone will say, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, which is what you would say to a king when he's done speaking. Oh, great king, you, your words are amazing. And um, and that's kind of how the reading of the Gospels ends. And then we sit together. Just a few more things in the Liturgy of the Word, guys. Um, then there's a homily. This is the Catholic word for it. Not sermon necessarily, but a homily. This is the prophetic word from the local shepherd to the gathered sheep. The Lord has been speaking to us from the text of Scripture, through mm-hmm. the lectors, through the deacon and those who read. But now our shepherd is going to, our pastor is going to speak to us something prophetic. Here is what God now is saying to us in this gathered assembly through all of this that has been read to us. And so the sermon or the homily isn't central or the longest part of the Mass. It's integral to the whole liturgy of the Word. And then as soon as uh, the pastor or the priest is finished preaching his homily. He will sit down for a moment, and then in our church, for instance, our priest says, let us stand and profess our faith. And then we say together the Nicene Creed. Most of us have it memorized. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have quoted the Nicene Creed for anything when I was a non-Catholic. I have the thing memorized mm-hmm. now. Why? Well, the Nicene Creed is the whole story. We say, I believe. And then we go from God, who's the father and creator of the world, all the way to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. And we also fight heresy because it's the Nicene Creed, which is a Christological creed from the Council of Nicaea. So we're doing all of this stuff in the liturgy of the word. We're saying, not only have I heard it, I believe it with mm. all of you. It's this mm. corporate profession of faith. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. It, so, oh, go ahead, Ken. No, I, I'm just saying that's amazing. Yeah, it, it's true. And it's all under the liturgy of the word. We've heard the word read. The shepherd has spoken to us about the word. And then we've stood up and said, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And one other note, too, about this. So we've been talking mostly about the Sunday Mass. The The main difference, well, there are a few different differences between the Sunday Mass and like what you would go to a, a Mass on a, a Tuesday or a Wednesday, right? Uh, they don't have the second reading, right, um, for example. But I remember the first time I went to a daily Mass, and uh, maybe you've experienced this, too, uh, depending on the disposition of the priest or, or whatever's going on, where you hear the first reading, you hear the psalm, you hear the gospel, and then the priest just sort of sits there and th- mm-hmm. stands up and says, please, please rise. We're going to move on to the next part. Mm-hmm. Can you and Kenny both would take one verse and spend an hour of doing your thoughts on that verse? I had never in my life till I went to one of these daily masses heard or even conceived of the thought of somebody mm-hmm. reading from the Bible for five minutes and just letting the word itself do the speaking and having zero yes. human stuff to add on top yeah. of it. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I, was, I was like, did, yeah. did I pass out somewhere? <laughs> I didn't know and what to that do with sense, that. That's why we say at the mass, at the end of the readings, 
the word of the Lord and the gospel of the Lord, because we we're, what we're doing there, that's, that's theological. Mm-hmm. We're saying God has been speaking to us. Um, sometimes there's not much left to say. Uh, there's a, maybe a little explanation, but it's the Lord speaking. Uh, this is uh, the liturgy of the word. But guys, there's one place left in the liturgy of the word in the um, in the mass that we attend, in the rite that we attend. And that's the place of prayer. Prayer or the, the corporate prayer, the universal prayer of the gathered assembly happens right here at the end of the profession of faith. Why? Well, when you hear a Catholic talk about going to Mass or a priest talk about going to Mass, we talk about going to Mass as an obligation. Uh, And that's because we understand what and who we are as God's people. We are, and this is the word we, we learned last time, we are the ecclesia, we are the gathered assembly of of God. God has made a people for himself, and those people have a sacred duty to perform. Mm-hmm. And the word picture for this uh, in the secular sense is kind of like a senate, like a senate, a group of people that's been voted in to represent the interests of their region. They've been called together for an assembly, proposals and petitions are going to be heard, and then votes have to be taken. Uh, people have to voice what they are uh, contributing to this representative process. And we now have been gathered together. We've been made into the assembly of God. We've heard from our king. Our king is in our midst. Now in the assembly, we are going to petition our king inside of his very throne room and ask him to now that we've heard what kind of God he is and what he wants to do, well, now we're going to ask him together to be and to do what he is and who he is in our day, just what he did in days of old. This is why we say we're obligated to attend Mass and participate in Mass, just like if, if you were the senator uh, of, you know, of your state and you never showed up for us, you know, to vote on a bill. You never helped to draft any legislation. You never spoke when it was your turn to speak at a hearing. You're just silent. Well, the same idea is the case in the ecclesia, in the gathered assembly. We have a responsibility to petition the king. And when a petition is brought forth, we have a responsibility when someone says, Lord, hear our prayer, to cast our roll call vote, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and say, you know, when he says we pray to the Lord, we say, Lord, hear our prayer. So I sometimes nudge my son at this point in the Mass if I see that he's not participating, and I'll maybe I'll put my arm around him and I'll say, you have a say here. This is where you speak. You petition the Lord. You're part of this assembly Mm -hmm. when it's your turn. And so we say the universal prayers here and everyone petitions Mm -hmm. the king at this point in the mass. Mm -hmm. Wow, Kenny, um, there's so much that you've gone through here today uh, illuminating this idea of the liturgy of the word. And it all flows. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's a natural flow to it of reading the word of God, hearing the prophetic word, you know, applying it, standing mm-hmm. up and together and saying, I believe it and outlining our faith in the Nicene Creed that you're right about that. I could not have quoted to you. I don't think I could have quoted to you the Apostles Creed before I was a Catholic, right. but you know, all of us quoting the, the Nicene, uh, reciting it out loud. And then I think of the prayers really as <laughs> now we're going to apply it. Okay, everything we've heard from the king, everything we've learned, yes. now now it's our turn to turn our voices to God and apply it all. Lord, help us mm-hmm. to do this. Help us to do that. We pray for this. We pray for that. Well, look, let me kind of help wrap this up by going back to the early church as we have in some of our earlier episodes, because all of this emphasis that's been placed today uh, on the place of scripture in the liturgy of the mass, I think it can help us to read the New Testament with fresh eyes as well. For instance, when we're reading about Jesus in Luke chapter 4, entering the synagogue worship, 
and then the scroll of Isaiah being handed to him where he reads it, liturgical reading again in the gathered assembly, and then preaches on it. Here's the homiletical application, just like is done in the Mass now. Well, is done in, with, with all Christian churches in the sense of a sermon being preached. Jesus saying, now these words are fulfilled in your hearing. The one that Isaiah talked about, that's me. I'm him. Mm-hmm. I think, too, about Paul telling Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, until I come... Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. This assumes, again, a gathered people of God, the ecclesia. This assumes that people are gathered in the church to hear the word of the Lord. And so he says, make sure you, do, you devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, and then to exhortation from what you've read, to teaching gathered to hear the word of the Lord, and that those it, 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 it assumes that those entrusted with the ministry of the word are going to be faithfully reading it and then teaching it, exhorting from it. Um, at the time, of course, I, I, I would have to add, you would have to be gathered because <laughs> there weren't copies. It's not, like, mm-hmm. it's not like Kenny Bouchard could sit at home back then and have his own copy of Paul's epistles and just read them or something. But still, the point is, the church from its very beginning Um, was the gathered assembly, and we see this all the way through the New Testament, I think too of Acts chapter 2, where we read, quote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't think that it means, first of all, that they sat around alone with one friend and and, and debated what's Paul saying in Romans chapter 2 or chapter 3. It's talking again about the fact that the word of God was being publicly preached and interpreted for the gathered congregation. And then one or two more verses quickly on this to, to, see, to see how this fits in or, or how this illuminates the way we read the New Testament. I think of the opening verses of Revelation where we read, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things that are written therein. So he's not talking about reading the book alone at home. He's not envisioning that at all. In fact, this is all liturgical language that implies a public gathering and a public reading. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear and put these into practice. Blessed is the lector, in other words, the one who reads, and blessed is the listener, those who are listening. Um, Paul expected this. One more passage from Colossians chapter 4, verse 13. He expected this when he wrote, Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle that is coming from Laodicea. So, you know, what what Paul is envisioning is that these letters are going to be publicly read and received in the liturgy of the church and the gathered assembly. And so, again, all of this liturgical reading reading in the gathered assembly, the focus is not on individual reading in these passages. And um, I want to close by reading as we did, uh, as as we have the last couple of weeks, uh, to to point out that the structure of the liturgy of the word in the ordinary form of the Roman rite, it pretty much follows exactly what we read, uh, what we read a couple of weeks ago from St. Justin Martyr in his first apology. Um, Because in the midst of a very long involved discussion of Christian worship in chapter 67, of St. Justin Martyr's first apology, Um, he says this, and I'm going to pick out just a small section to read as we close today. Here's Justin Martyr. On the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together in one place, there it is again, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Okay, so there's a reading in the gathered assembly again, both Old and New Testament, By the memoirs of the apostles, he's probably referring to the Gospels first, but to all their writings. So he says, we gather together in one place, Justin Martyr says, the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. And then when the reader, the lector, has ceased reading, the one presiding verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Here you have the homily. Here you have the application of what's being read in the gathered assembly. And then Justin Martyr, finally, he says, then we all rise together and pray. You see the the pattern just follows along exactly. And this, this, as you shared, Kenny, this is the universal prayer. This is the church's petition. 
in which the gathered church who has heard the king speak to them, who's taken it in, gets a chance now to work it out in their own lives with God. That is, how will this be applied in my life? How will this be applied in our parish? How will this be applied in the world of the present day? He's reading the word of God and it's being applied now. So our prayers are made at this point because they are connected with God's action to us in the liturgy of the word. God has spoken to us and he's, he spoke about history. He spoke from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, but he's speaking to us now. And now in our own time, in our own place, we want to understand how to apply it. And that's what we're asking God to do. In this way, the parish that we attend, all of us now is sitting here today doing this recording, just mm -hmm. like the believers in the days of St. Justin Martyr, we not only read the story of salvation, but through the liturgy of the word, we join it as a present reality, as a present word spoken to us. Any final Amen. comments, Kenny Amen. or Matt? None from me. Just a joy to walk through this together with you guys. Yeah, the only thing that came to mind as you were talking about uh, this word being proclaimed in a group, that when people are reading it, they are reading it out loud mm. and they're reading it to one another. It just reminded me of a very strange passage in Augustine's Confessions where he's like, this guy Ambrose does this weird thing that I've never seen anybody do before. When he reads, his mouth doesn't even move. Like, he doesn't... <laughs> he saves his voice like he's... Augustine had never seen anybody before Ambrose reading silently right <laughs> this is this is how christians read scripture in the early church right they right. all read it out loud it they read it to another act. they read it in the gathered assembly it's a public act yeah <laughs> so yes. it's they didn't have these libraries at home they didn't have what it looks like burchard's got like half a catholic <laughs> bookstore behind him right they didn't have that they didn't have that but uh yeah well we've gone through again another probably 10 15 minutes of the mass in the past hour or so and so we should probably <laughs> cut it here but um looking forward to continuing this series i hope that uh, you're learning a thing or two even catholics who are watching this or perhaps uh, have never kind of heard the mass talked about in, in this way and so i hope that's helpful uh, but if you want to catch up on the previous episodes and check out when the next one comes out go to chnetwork.org um, you can also check out our online community if you want to join that uh, that is community.chnetwork.org and i want to make sure to let you know that as the end of the year approaches um, this is a really important time for us uh, since we are uh, donor-supported here at the Coming Home Network. If you've been blessed by any of this and want it to continue to be a blessing to others, please do go to chnetwork.org slash donate, and uh, we would really appreciate uh, any gift you could make, especially at the end of the year. I'm Matt Swaim. Ken Hensley, Kenny Burchard, thank you again. We'll talk to you next week. Good to see you guys. Right, we'll Good to see, see you. you. Bless you Bye. guys.